Well, good morning uh, again, everyone. Uh, first, uh, let me say that it's really, uh, really good to be back here with you all this morning. It's been good um, to be back here at the church this last week. Uh, I told someone this week, one of the elders, that it felt really uh, weird to be away for so long, but that it also felt really good. Um, and I think it was good. I was able to get things done uh, around the house and uh, travel with my family and spend a bunch of time alone and read a handful of books. And all of that was really, really good. But the best part uh, about it, the most helpful part about it, was just simply being able to rest from the work that I normally do. So I want to say a big thank you to all of you, uh, and in particular to our awesome staff uh, for, be able, for giving me this ability to be able to rest. So I'm going to pick up this morning where you all left off last week with Jesus teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. So let's read from the beginning of Matthew 7 together. I'll read Matthew 7 verses 1 through 11. You can follow along in the order of worship where it's printed or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read from Matthew 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask the, the same thing that we ask every time that we read and we hear your word together, um, and that is that you would meet us in it by the power of your spirit. That you'd come uh, to every one of us in the places uh, exactly where we find ourselves. Those who are uh, rested and those who are not. Those who feel distracted and those who don't. Those who have faith this morning in your son and those of us who do not have faith in your son. Meet those of us who feel close to you and those who feel far. Use this word to to speak grace and kindness and goodness to us. And we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, I, uh, <clears throat> I always tell people that I am uh, allergic to the air and water show. Um, I do not mean that uh, as some kind of political statement or anything like that. Uh, I don't mean it as a, a curmudgeonly 
take on loud jets flying around for a few days at, at the uh, back end of August. Um, I don't mean any of those things. And of course, I'm not actually allergic to the air and water show as far as I know. Um, what I mean is that uh, sometime in the early 90s, I started developing seasonal allergies. And uh, it was a surprise to me. It took me a while to figure out what was going on. And these uh, seasonal allergies always, without fail, come around this weekend, the weekend of the air and water show. Um, I don't know what starts flying around in the air around this time of year, but my body thinks it's bad for me, and I start sneezing, and I do not like it. Um, and so sure enough, I caught myself uh, in the garage sneezing on Wednesday morning for what seemed like no reason. And then Thursday morning, of course, we started to hear the jets buzzing around our city doing their practice runs. Um, so it seems weird to me, but that's just how it is. In my life, the air and water show and my allergies are inseparably linked. I always, uh, always think about them together. And uh, this makes me think about how Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount because at the beginning of his teaching uh, that you talked about back in the beginning of June, he ties two things uh, inseparably together. Uh, Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount by what we call the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And church, this is really, uh, really important for us to understand that those words are not describing some kind of fantasy people. Those words are not describing some kind of people that you and I could be if we tried really, really hard every day to be those kind of people. That is not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying these are the people that we already are. <laughs> these are the people that we are becoming in him. That's who we are when we are united to Jesus in faith. The Beatitudes are our identity. As Jesus says it really plainly after he finishes the Beatitudes, you're the salt of the earth. <laughs> you are the light of the world. He doesn't say try really hard to be the salt of the earth or work double time to be the light of the world. He says that's who we are. That is our identity completely indispensable for the good and the flourishing of this world. And so Jesus lays out our identity, and then he inseparably, inseparably ties it to this thing, to our vocation in this world. Jesus says, if that's who you are, then here's what you do in this world. And he's crystal clear about it. He says our vocation in this world is to do good in this watching world so that people will trace that good back to its source which is God himself. This is how Jesus put it. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. That's your vocation. That's my vocation. We share the gracious life of God with the world. 
And so those two tied together things, our identity and our vocation, these are a visible alternative to being human in God's world, an important one. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount paints those two things really large, our our vocation, our identity, all tied together. And I have to say that I think the passage that we just read is incredibly strong, incredibly beautiful medicine for this choked up culture that we live in, in a world that is really, really hurting around these very things. You know, these are some of Jesus' most well-known words. They are also some of Jesus' most frequently misappropriated words. But this morning, I want to hear them first and again and again as a beautiful, striking, visible alternative for human life in God's world. Are you ready? Judge not that you not be judged. Judge not that you not be judged. Before I say any other words about those words, let me make sure that I say this. In this teaching, Jesus is calling us to love our neighbors by being a gracious and kind people. He is calling us to love our neighbors and to love each other by being a gracious, kind people. He's calling us to put away the shrill, preening self-righteousness that clogs up just about every single discourse, about every single thing that we see in our world today. I don't, I don't need to repeat this to you. <laughs> Everywhere we look in our culture, there is this deep-seated, fearful, preening self-righteousness. The desire for rightness that comes from a very, very strange place. It clogs up everything. So Jesus says, judge not, that you be not judged. And he expands, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Famous words of Jesus, Shakespeare writes a whole play about them. (laughs) Frequently misunderstood words. And of course, you know, there's this long tradition, um, a comfortable tradition of reading Jesus' words here to suggest that he was you know, advocating the dismissal of public morality, that he was advocating the silence of dissenting voices in the public square. In other words, there's this long, very comfortable tradition of reading Jesus' words as saying, really, you know, to each his own, and who are we to say anything to someone else? Because, you know, Jesus told us not to judge And my guess is that most of us have used or heard Jesus' words to support that kind of move. Maybe, right? Maybe we've used them like that. You know how it goes, right? You you don't like what I do with my money? Judge not. (laughs) You don't think that I make good moral choices? (laughs) 
why don't you do you and I'll do me? And you can mind your own business. You don't like how I spend my time? Judge not. So that's a bad read of Jesus' words for all kinds of reasons. The first is perhaps the most obvious of them, as uh, Stanley Hauerwas, who taught ethics at Duke University for a really long time, Riley put it. I mean, Jesus himself is obviously in the business of judgment. <laughs> right? And we affirm this, Christians affirm this every single time that we say the creed, when we repeat that line that says Jesus will come from the right hand of the Father where he's seated to judge the quick and the dead. We affirm that Jesus is in the business of judgment. Remember, church, the first thing that Jesus says when he comes onto the scene to anyone who will listen is the kingdom of God is here. Repent. Repent. And church, the call to repentance is at its core a judgment. It says that people are walking in the wrong direction and it's going to hurt them and it's going to hurt others around them and they need to turn around. It's, it's at its core a judgment. The call to repentance says that there are whole systems, whole structures embedded in our world that are messed up, that are causing harm, and they absolutely need to change. The call to repentance, which we hear every time we gather together the, to worship, is an unashamed judgment. And I would also argue that it is a beautiful, beautiful judgment that it is a life-giving judgment. And if that sounds like a weird thing to say about judgment, just sit with it for a little bit. And I think that you'll see that it's true. Another reason this is a bad read of Jesus' words is, of course, because Jesus carefully teaches people like us what to do when we see a sister or we see a brother walking in the wrong direction that will harm them or harm others around them. You can read all about it in Matthew 18. We don't have time to look at all of it, but I can just summarize it. This is what Jesus doesn't say in Matthew 18. If we see someone messing up, walking in a direction of harm, he doesn't say give them the stink eye. He doesn't say shame them on social media. He doesn't say hector them, ostracize them, make up derisive names for them, and hope they get the point. He says go to them and talk to them face to face and tell them what you see. Just the two of you. Church, this requires that we make a judgment and speak it. We, we could be wrong. <laughs> Hopefully most of the time when we do that, we are wrong. But that doesn't take away Jesus' encouragement to do it. And I hope that it's obvious, but let me make sure that I say it. To do that to someone, to do that for someone, is to love someone. It is a kindness it is goodness to them. Like we heard in the New Testament lesson, restore a person in gentleness, keeping a watch on yourself at the same time. 
So, all right, if Jesus isn't abandoning judgment altogether as a category, he's clearly not, then what does he mean when he says, judge not that you will not be judged, because you'll get it back measure from measure? What does Jesus mean? Well, gratefully, he gives us a little bit of an analogy to explain exactly what it is that he means. I can't help but think that this analogy must have come from his life um, as a carpenter's son. So Jesus tells this little story, uses this little analogy, says there's this one guy uh, with a speck of dust in his eye, and then there's this other guy, and he has a huge log sticking out of his eye. And then just in case we don't get exactly what Jesus is doing, he makes it clear. By the way, you, if you're hearing me, you're the one with the big log. You're the log guy. You've got the log. This guy has a speck, this other guy has a log, and it's you. And Jesus asked this really simple question. Why can't you see the log in your own eye? Right? And how is it that you see, how can you possibly see this speck in your friend's eye if you've got this huge log in your own eye? And what Jesus is saying is ridiculous and absurd and comical and plain, and that's exactly the point. You are just as broken (laughs) and just as messed up as the next guy. Thoroughgoingly to the center of who you are, you're just as fallen and broken, maybe more so given the day. So stop pretending. Stop pretending. And that's exactly what this word that Jesus uses, hypocrite, that's what it means in the first century setting. Stop play acting, stop pretending, stop trying to be someone you are not by the way that you act, not because you don't know you're pretending, but probably because you do know you're pretending. Church, this is the kind of judgment that Jesus is prohibiting in this teaching, a critical destructive judgment, a judgment that is ungenerous towards mistakes, that puts the worst possible spin on everyone else's motives. He is prohibiting a blind, play-acting kind of judgment that claims a moral competence, that claims a moral high ground that we just don't have. that we're kidding ourselves if we think we do. Jesus is prohibiting a judgment without humility, without an honest, open-handed assessment first of myself. And that walks out from there with humility. In other words, Jesus is prohibiting a judgment that is not shot all the way through with the kindness and graciousness of God himself. That's what Jesus is talking about here. So church, let's just begin every day by being as honest as we can. We are not the heroes of the true story of the world. Not me, not you. We are not the heroes of the true story of the world. We're not the saviors of the world. We're the ones that needed rescued by the hero.
we're the ones that need it saved by the hero. And church, we've got to be humble enough to cop to that every minute of every day. Church, I, I know that the appetite, I mean, I know, I'm, I live in this world, I live in this culture, I unfortunately see media every day. <laughs> and I know that the appetite for judgment, this appetite for moral watchdoggery, this smug parading of rightness, this meeting out of punishments, this obsession with the winning of arguments, it's turned up so loudly in our culture right now that it's almost deafening. And you know what that means? That means that you and I have to work as hard as we possibly can to not let that stuff get so loud that we stop hearing the, the real music, <laughs> the real strains of grace and mercy that saved us in the first place. Because that's what it's gonna take for people like us, for the church to reflect God's beauty and to be a visible alternative to being a human being in this world. And so that's exactly why Jesus gives us a prescription for the thing that makes you and I sick. He says, first, here's what you do. <laughs> Take the big log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to be able to take the speck out of your sister's eye, your brother's eye. And we know how to do this, church. We know how to do this because we do it together. We have practiced it together for years and years every single Sunday. Hopefully we do this every single day of our lives through honest, open-handed, humble confession of our own sin. And then hearing the gracious words of forgiveness and assurance that come to us, you know, not because, you know, we're pretty good. Not because deep down we've got the right argument. It's the assurance and forgiveness that comes to us because it has been earned for us through the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, our elder brother. This is our identity. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. And church, when we live like this, with this genuine humility that comes from being a sinful people who are forgiven, we are sharing the gracious and kind life of God with the world. And that's what we've been made for. So I love uh, that Jesus goes from those teachings uh, about judgment straight into verse 6, <laughs> where he talks about not throwing things to dogs or pigs. <laughs> I love this teaching from Jesus because it's like whiplash in the way that only Jesus can create whiplash in a life. Uh, no one's really sure exactly what the holy things and the pearls refer to. No one really knows who the dogs and the pigs are, but that doesn't mean that the underlying point Jesus is making isn't clear. <laughs> Jesus has called people like us to be gracious and kind and humble, but that does not mean that we are not also called to be thoughtful and discerning and wise. 
Later in this gospel, Jesus tells his disciples to be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. I think that's something like what Jesus is commending here, putting away uh, ungenerous and ungracious judgment does not mean that we drop our discernment. (laughs) So people who are wise and discerning and gracious and kind, they're rare. I mean, if you find someone like that in your life who is wise and discerning and gracious and kind, do whatever you can to hang out with them. Keep them in your life. But church, this is who we have been created to be. This is who Jesus is making us to be. So it doesn't surprise me that Jesus moves from this teaching about the need for kindness and grace to this teaching on how Jesus or God is kind and gracious to us when we pray. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. These are some of the most open promises. These are some of the most gracious promises in all of Scripture. And Jesus is here inviting us to explore the generous, generous kindness of God in prayer. So we don't have time to talk about all of this. I just want to say a couple things. And the first is that when Jesus teaches about prayer, he is often happy to talk about the mechanics of prayer. That's why he gave that model prayer to pray that you all talked about at the end of July, the one that we call the Lord's Prayer. So occasionally, Jesus will talk about the mechanics of prayer. If you pray, say these words. Here's what Jesus never does. He never talks about the mystery of how prayer works. He doesn't talk about why some of our prayers prayed in faith don't get answered the way that we'd like them to. The majority of Jesus' teaching on prayer here is not about the mechanics of it. It's not about the mystery of it. The majority of Jesus' teaching on prayer is about the one to whom we pray. And so he tells us what our Father is like, and he does it so that we will talk to the Father. He says, what, what father gives stones to their kids when they ask for bread? <laughs> what dad gives snakes to their children when they want some fish, right? It's simple. If fallen fathers, if broken fathers know how to do better than that, know how to give good gifts, then how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts when you ask him? For Jesus, listen church, for Jesus, that's the most important thing about prayer. That is the best thing about prayer. That is the whole reason to pray. Because when we are praying, Jesus says, we are in communion, real communion, with the one who is better than all of the best dads in the world put together. To pray is to commune with the one who will do anything for our good. Anything for our good. And if you're tempted ever to think that isn't true, then all people like us have to do is look at the cross. That's how far he will go to give us good gifts. No cost is too high. No place is too dark. He will traverse hell and come back bearing gifts 
for us. That is a good father, a gracious father, a father who shows us what love is really like. And to talk with him is to know him more deeply, to pray to him is to learn his way more fully and to have his way more fully formed in us. Prayer is one of the ways our identity is filled out. It's one of the ways that God changes us to look more like his son Jesus, humble and gracious and wise and kind. Let me pray for us. Father, you have given us good gifts, and we will never get to the end of them. It's like we're continually opening them new every day. And we know that that's true because you have given us your son. So, Father, we ask that we would be a people who always remember that in humility, that we have been given gifts. We have been given gifts that we did not have on our own. Father, we pray that we would be a people who remember that and then who in turn act that out in the world with kindness and graciousness towards everyone around us. Do this for our good. Do this for the good of the broken world around us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.